This week on the Vergecast, Dan Seifert joins us. We talk about iOS 14. It's in public beta now. What's going on with Thunderbolt and new ARM Max? Talk about the Pixel 3a. It's a good time coming up on the Vergecast now. Support for the podcast comes from Canva. Presenting to a group of your colleagues can be nerve-wracking. So why not ease some of that anxiety with Canva? Thanks to their AI, you can start with a simple prompt and watch Canva go to work. Choose your favorite style, customize the content, and that's it. You're done. It's a serious time saver. Whatever you do for work, Canva presentations can give you a head start on your deck. You generate sales presentations, marketing decks, HR onboarding plans, you name it. Finish your deck faster. Generate slides in seconds with Canva presentations at canva.com, designed for work. Support for this show comes from Slack. You're a growing business and you can't afford to slow down. If anything, you could probably use a few more hours in the day. That's why the most successful growing businesses are working together in Slack. Slack is where work happens, with all your people, data, and information in one AI-powered place. Start a call instantly in huddles and ditch cumbersome calendar invites. Or build an automation with Workflow Builder to take routine tasks off your plate. No coding required. Grow your business in Slack. Visit slack.com to get started. Hello and welcome to the Vergecast, the flagship podcast of the Vox Media Empire. That feels good. Yeah, that one felt good. I'm Neil. I'm your friend. Dieter Bone is here. I'm your mate. Dan Seifert just walked out. <laughs> I had to close the door. I had to make sure the office door is closed so he could avoid a BBC situation here. Oh, I see. Right. With the, the children. Yes. Truly, America's workplace culture has been reshaped by children running in and out of frames on Zoom. It's good. I think it's a very healthy pandemic outcome. I got put on blast today by famous sci-fi author John Scalzi uh, for having cat hair on my shirt during a video. There was like three hairs, but apparently that was enough to uh, merit a tweet from um, John Scalzi about me. I like the notion that, you know, we're all revealing our true selves at home. Yeah. And some of the artifice over the workplace is gone. That said, the next time I go on CNBC, I'm pretty sure I'm going to put my hair in a ponytail. It's almost that long. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm, like, I'm, I'm about to turn the corner on letting the beard just go fully insane. Oh, yeah, that's great. Do it. Well, I'm in the mouth. You know, you might as well just go for it. Anyhow, <laughs> as always, uh, there's a bunch of tech news to talk about this week. Um, iOS 14, uh, the public beta is rolling out. Dieter's been using it. There's lots to talk about. With that, iPad OS, all of Apple's 95 OSs, got some news on uh, the Apple Silicon Macs are coming. There's a bunch of sort of Android news to talk about. There's a Samsung event happening, uh, and there's like a grab bag of gadget news. But before we get into all of that, uh, as usual, I want to start. First off, we took last week off for the 4th. Happy 4th of July. I hope you didn't miss us too much. But so there's been a lot of sort of virus news, racial justice news. Again, I, I've been saying this every week. Those are the two biggest stories of our time. You're going to... It's going to be 10 years from now. What you're going to remember from the summer of 2020, I promise you, is not that the Reddit app was copying from the clipboard every couple of minutes. <laughs> you're going to remember that it was the pandemic and the and uh, Black Lives Matter, which appears to be the largest protest movement in American history. So I want to update on those stories real quick and we can get to the gadget stuff. Again, as I say every week, I know people come to us for a little bit of distance from those big stories, but we have a huge team that is working on that stuff. Those stories are... I'm telling you that this is the most formative moment of most of our lives. So I want to point out that we're covering that stuff. I want to shout out our team for that coverage. So 
on the virus. It is uh, 17 weeks. I think it's 17. Sure. 17 weeks since Trump held up the, or well, since Dr. Burks held up the flow chart next to Trump. Uh, they were on, on days together saying that there would be a nationwide testing apparatus where you'd go to a website. You know, you know what I'm talking about. 5,000 Google engineers. We're going <laughs> to make it pixel perfect. It got smaller? Four Google engineers were going <laughs> to make it. I think if four of them had been assigned to it, it might actually have been made by now. Yeah, right. But obviously, if you've been listening, you know that Dr. Burks held up the flowchart. Trump stood next to it. They promised this testing apparatus that does not exist. Some states have reasonable testing systems. Verily, which is the part of Alphabet next to Google, has rolled that out at a much smaller scale than you think. But tests in this country are not happening in a coordinated nationwide way. And there's actually a delay uh, in test results right now. The testing system is backed up overall. That is sitting right next to uh, enormous surge in cases, particularly in the Sun Belt. All this is bad. This problem is not getting solved until there is a coordinated testing and tracing apparatus. Uh, it's just not here. That leads into some of our coverage. Meredith Griggs, our science editor, wrote about how this isn't just a wave, it's a tsunami. Actually, on that story in particular, like go read it, because you might just think, oh, that, that's, a, that's a cute headline, it a, must be a take. But the metaphor for how you think about what the rate of cases are actually matters in how we react to it as a society. Like, if you don't think of it as a wave, but you think of it as a tsunami, that like that metaphor leads to different reactions, and like it's actually really important. Uh, no, I, mean, I, I think everybody should read it. I think that the discrepancy in just how bad it's getting, in the ways to fix it, and the way that we're talking about it, which is incredibly politicized, is very dangerous. So read that story. On sort of the other side of it, uh, Nicole Wetzman wrote about how doctors are getting better at treating COVID nineteen patients, and they were at the beginning of the outbreak in March. There's a lot of, I think, conversation about how the overall spike in cases has not been followed by um, a corresponding increase in deaths. Deaths are lagging. They, they, they happen weeks after the spike in cases. So there's just a lot of wait and see there. But then there's also this other factor, which is as the virus takes over the country and the world, uh, we're learning more about it. We're getting better at treating it. So that's a really interesting story. Um, James Vincent wrote about how doctors are using more robotics in hospitals and in their practices. After the pandemic, the doctors think that the robotics are going to basically change medicine. That's a really interesting story. Um, and then lastly, on sort of the platform side of the fence, Facebook and Instagram are going to start reminding people to wear masks. I, now on this podcast, I'm going to remind you to wear a mask. There are many cool masks out there. Just buy one. Wear a bandana. Just please do it for me because uh, I would like to travel again soon. It's just an idea that I have about going places. Or ever. Yeah, it'd be great. So all that coverage is there. Like I said, it's, it's the biggest story of our time. The other big story of our time uh, is the racial justice movement that's happening in this country. We're actually going to talk to Rashad Robinson, who's the head of Color of Change, which is one of the groups organizing the Facebook boycott. As we're recording this, I'm going to talk to him tomorrow. By the time you're listening to him, I will likely have talked to him. The social media platforms are just under intense pressure. So Coca-Cola, Microsoft, Starbucks, Target, Unilever, Verizon, they've all pulled out ads from Facebook. They've paused ads on other social media platforms. Casey and Zoe are keeping track of all the policy changes and all the bans that are happening on platforms like Reddit and Facebook and Twitter, uh, Snapchat. Uh, and then on the creator side of the fence, uh, Julia Alexander wrote a great piece about how white YouTube creators are struggling to address their past use of very racist characters in their videos. That is just a reckoning that is playing out across every social media platform. And that is all the background context for a civil rights audit that was issued by Facebook this week. Did you read about it in the interface? Casey's going to go into depth on it. But 
Facebook basically set up its own team to support a civil rights audit. It took two years. It came out. You can read it. It's out in public. Uh, They referred to some of uh, Mark Zuckerberg's moderation decisions as vexing and heartbreaking. Uh, And then what Casey pointed out to me as we were talking about it today was it was an audit. It took two years. It was supported internally by a dedicated team at Facebook, had the support of Sheryl Sandberg, the COO of Facebook. And they were only able to look at Facebook, the blue app. They did not have time or resources to also look at Instagram and WhatsApp, which is just hmm. one, one more little check mark in the argument of, is this thing too big, right? If you have two years and all this dedicated support and you can only look at one corner of the empire, um, is that thing too big? So Casey's going to make that argument in the interface. You should go read it. But those are the two biggest stories. I really just want to keep reminding people our team is laser focused on them. We are constantly covering them. We're constantly talking about it. But I know you come to us for a break and to talk about some tech news. So let's talk about some tech news. Dieter. Now we will proceed uh, with the section of the Vergecast, which is 45 minutes of me complaining about the clock app on uh, iOS. I'm very ready for this. (laughs) So iOS 14 is out. The public beta. The iOS 14 public beta is rolling out now. Dieter, you've had sort of the private beta. Yeah, the developer beta. Uh, there it's on, but that's on beta two at this moment. So the the public beta one is probably about the equivalent of the developer beta two if you're paying attention to that stuff. And the only thing to note is that they have once again failed to take Dieter's feature suggestion into account. <laughs> The inside baseball. Okay, so the, the thing here is, in order to change the time on an alarm in the clock app on iOS, you need to tap the edit button and then tap the time. You can swipe to delete them, but you can't just tap them to open up the time to change the, the thing. They also got rid of the uh, little uh, uh, dialy dial to uh, change times and dates. That's interesting. You don't type them in on a pad like normal. Um, anyway, the inside story here is like two, three years ago, Neilai and I were in a room with a bunch of like Apple engineers for like, ask us anything on background. Like, what do you want to know? We've, we've had a long day of like learning about the new version of Mac and iOS and whatever. And what's left? What didn't we cover? What do you want to know? And I like popped off about this issue for a good 45 seconds, followed by Utter silence from everybody in the room. It's like, why is he so mad? Yeah. <laughs> it was truly one of those, like, it was the end of a very long day. Yeah. And I think we had just been like, we hadn't eaten. But it's nope. now that you did it, you're committed to it. Yeah, no, it's it's part of my it's part of my being. Just so I, I understand this entirely. So unlike everyone else, Dieter, everyone else that uses the clock app for alarms just has like endless alarms that they've set probably using Siri and it's just like it, it's just like endless like list of alarms and they just make a new one every single time. Yeah. You want to be able to use one of them and just change it by yeah. 10 minutes. Just day. tap on tap on the time and change it. That's how it works on the Apple Watch by the way. So, uh <laughs> turns out though that you can just say Siri with the wake word before Siri and ask her to delete all of your alarms and then that like will do it. So like the the solution for this is to know the secret password that you say to the digital assistant. I have never opened the clock. Uh, well, when the iPhone first came out, I think I opened the clock at once. But since Siri mm. has come out, I have never opened that app. The only thing I use Siri for is setting alarms and timers. When I was editing Dieter's uh, script for the video for this iOS 14 piece, I actually had to go open the clock app to figure out what he was talking about. <laughs> I was so mad about it. I feel, Anyway, so like we should actually talk about the operating systems and not the clock app. I don't know. I think this is riveting radio. <laughs> All the people trapped in their homes are like, yes, this is the break. <laughs> from the nonstop swell of depressing news I've been waiting for. 
Uh, okay, so iOS and iPadOS. The way that I tried to break it down is each one of these platforms has like a big headline flagship feature, and then there's a, a few app features, and then there's like a million other features. And the story I made up in my head, and I put this in the in the piece today, is like I just imagined that after WWDC last year, Craig Federighi got in a room and was like, "Wow, that was that was exciting, everybody. What do you what do you want us to do next year?" And like this one guy in the back, it's like, uh. Can 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 I finally finish this just ship this default apps thing that's been sitting on the shelf for three years? And Craig was like, you know what? Sure. And then there was just chaos as everybody demanded to be able to ship their app that's been sitting on the shelf for the past three years. And that is iOS 14. Well, so the default apps thing, it's big news that they buried in a slide in a corner of a slide, but no apps support it yet, right? So you can't try it. You need a, the third party apps have to like be updated to support it. And so I haven't had a chance to try it yet. But what is the other stuff that feels grab baggy to you? Uh, there's other stuff like uh, you can add captions to photos, which seems silly, but it's a big deal because it means you can like search for stuff. Like you can search for that haircut picture that you need when you get to go to the barber again. They added picture in picture to the iPhone. Finally, they cleaned up the uh, search stuff on both iOS and iPadOS so that it is more universal and searches across everything. And also remembers that the web exists and you can like hit enter and search <laughs> something on the web. I mean, there's mentions, there's new Memoji, there's bike directions. There's new ways for like favorites to show up in home controls in the control center out of the home app. And then the home app is making other suggestions there's web page translation in Safari. There's uh, a bunch of privacy stuff, which maybe is like a bigger thing, but it's still like feels a little grab baggy. Spatial audio for iPod AirPods. Okay. Does it work? I don't, I don't know. I haven't tried it. That, that in particular, I didn't get to. Game Center got updated. Game Center still exists. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it just goes on and on like that. Like they improved the shot to shot performance inside the camera app. So that you have to wait less time for the photos to get saved. That's pretty cool. Yeah. The big change, like the big visual change is the new home screen and widgets. Right. I feel like you have a lot of thoughts about widgets. <sighs> so the like the, it all bleeds into each other because it's not just that you can put widgets anywhere you want on the home screen. It's that it's an entirely brand new widgeting system that uses Swift UI and developers are going to have to remake their widgets to work with this new system. And this new system, by the way, also works on the iPad and Mac OS. So they've remade their entire widgeting system to be cross-platform across all of their major platforms, except, I guess, Apple Watch. Although, for all we know, this is like based off Apple Watch tech because like that, sometimes that's randomly the story with, with Apple stuff. So it's fine. It's interesting. You can like they like they don't take up a ton of battery. The question for me is like you've done this thing that feels a little bit cross-platform, but there are like other things that feel like are going to be cross-platform real soon, like iOS apps running natively on the Mac. At some point, people are gonna start demanding like clear connections and syncing between those things. And I don't know how long that's gonna be. The thing about the widgets that gets me, because right, they're written in Swift UI. Which is like Apple's big carrot to get developers to to use Swift UI. Like most apps are not written in Swift or Swift UI. You have an iPhone app, you want to make a widget. Okay, you gotta go get your feet wet with this language. That makes sense. That's a good carrot. I'm just saying, I love dashboard on Mac OS. They took it out <laughs> of Catalina. Yeah. Dashboard widgets were written written in JavaScript and HTML. So they took them out and they added widgets back into the operating system in Apple's own language. Like you see the move they did there. It's a real Apple move. 
if we're talking about web hostile moves, um, <laughs> oh boy, what do we do? I mean, I mean, you know exactly what you just did, Eli. You like were setting up that angle so obviously. I mean, it's instinctive at this point. But go ahead, Dieter. Oh man, we're, so there's a there's a new thing in Safari across all these platforms that gives you a privacy report, which is great. And Apple has this thing called Intelligent Tracking Prevention. It tells you how many trackers were prevented, not blocked, but prevented. Um, and I think we talked about this on the Vergecast before. Like, there's a number, and you could you can't do anything with the number other than be unhappy about the number. There's also I don't know if this is a web thing, but the um, apps now have to ask for permission to enable certain types of tracking, right? Certain types of ad tracking uh, when you like run the app or when, you know, the first time it tries to track you or whatever. And so everyone is just going to straight up say no to that. Why would anybody say, yeah, sure, go ahead and track me. That sounds great. And that pushes apps and pushes the app economy more towards paying getting Apple its cut, its 30% cut to get paid in a way that is interesting, I think. That's a bit of a stretch, but like you can kind of see it. Apple definitely knows what the incentives are on the platform and tries to nudge developers in a direction. You know, the the direction that Apple's trying to nudge the ecosystem, if you look at it from like an ethical moral, like they're taking an ethical moral stand as a company. It's like, yep, cool, more privacy. Uh, but their ethical moral stand also dovetails really nicely with the way that Apple makes services money in the same way that Google's quote unquote ethical moral stand about like, let's slow down and not change the web too fast. And like, we got to not block cookies on Chrome right now because it'll break too many things. Just happens to dovetail with their business model. So there's a whole lot of like, I believe you that you're taking an ethical stand, but I also recognize that your ethical stand uh, makes your company more money. Yeah, I mean, the web is Google's revenue model. I don't think we say right. it enough. Google is the only company that has monetized the web at scale. At scale, sure. Yeah. There's a little bit of Facebook and a little bit of Amazon, but like the web existing and operating just makes money for Google. The way most people like bounce around the web is through Google search, and that sends them yep. to a bunch of websites, and Google has ads all over Google search, and then sends it to a bunch of websites, and then Google owns the ad serving platform, they own the ad auction platform, they like there's money like money on web pages is made by Google. And to be clear, the way that Google monetizes Android is the web. Right? Like they have the services stuff and the app store stuff that Apple does. But Android yeah. exists as a free product and they give it away to everybody because then they dump Google Play services on it and they know people right. are gonna use Chrome. Right. And like that yeah. was always so every swipe that Apple can take at the web I think can fairly also be interpreted as a swipe at Google. So here's another example. This is App Clips. So app, Android actually has something like this. It's called Instant Apps. Uh, I suspect it'll be slightly more popular on the iPhone, although who knows. Uh, the idea is uh, the apps are temporary. They're, they're, they're less than 10 megs. They're easy to install, and then they go away after 30 days. And it's for stuff like riding a scooter that you want to rent, or it's you know some other like temporary paying a parking meter, you know, buying a thing at a chicken restaurant because they don't want to use like Apple Pay and they make you use the app. Some some small thing. What kind of chicken restaurants to... are you going to? I don't know, man. <laughs> Imagine like, it's got what, like an incredible menu. What chicken restaurant in America right now has an app? What um there there are non chain uh, well it's possible. I, I'm I'm guessing Chick-fil-A has an app. Fine. Yeah. What okay. non chain if you have a local family chicken restaurant and it's got a high end app and they've got enough dedicated development resources to make an app clip. I want to talk to that restaurant. Yeah. You send them my way. Continue. Okay. So, but 
There is a world in which everything that an app clip does could just be handled by a web app. If you think about it, app clips are like basically the equivalent of a browser tab, but in app form, right? But Apple explicitly says, no, we don't believe that the web and web pages and web apps should be allowed to do things with the hardware of the phone. They should not be allowed to know that Bluetooth exists. They should like locations should be very, very carefully protected. They should not have access to you know, the camera or to, you know, blah, 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 blah. And so there's just a bunch of stuff that can only be done by an app on Apple's platforms that in theory, if they wanted to put that effort into adding it, adding support for that, those sort of APIs into Safari in a secure way, they could. They just fundamentally believe that that is going to break the web and it's impossible and it'll lead to chaos, which again is another like, I see the principled stand you're taking, but I can't help but notice that principled stand leads to uh, more apps on the App Store that may or may not give Apple a thirty percent cut. Yeah, I, you know I'm really high on app clips. I I would like it to be a, a wider spread thing, but mm-hmm. you know, in the before time, I would like walk around New York City and I would see city bikes and I'd be like, man, one day I'm going to try those out. And then I would think to myself, I have to download City Bikes garbage app. I have to give yep. it my credit card. Like, yep. I'm never going to ride this bike. I'm just thinking of all the parking apps I have on my phone for that exact reason. I go to one place and I need to pay for parking and I had to download this random app and give them a credit card and all that stuff. And I used it like once a year. Yeah, but you can't take it off your phone because it's like, no, you know, it's like hoarding cables. Like, why do I still have (laughs) like giant USB-A printer cables in my house? Because what if I get a new printer and it doesn't come with the cable? It's in my mind. But like, I don't know, taxis in New York are another thing. Like every... I've got so many taxi apps from new, from my trips to New York. Curb, Arrow, something else. There's like five of them. And then they all... Oh, and this is just like, again, nostalgia for the before time. Taxi <laughs> drivers would always tell me like Apple Pay doesn't work when there'd be an Apple Pay logo on the thing because they yeah. were trying to get me to use the app. All that stuff should be app clips. All that stuff should be wave your phone and some exchange of code happens. And it's like, here's the... Here's the API to pay us, and we're mm-hmm. going to put up an, a custom interface. I totally buy that that's better than go to a website. But, I mean, you could wave the phone, and it could do the same thing through web technology, and that would mean that the taxi company or the chicken restaurant would just need to make a web app that would work on Android and iOS. With app clips and instant apps, they now need to develop two completely different apps for two completely different platforms in order to support their customers. But Google, ha- what's Google's version of this? They have Instant apps. It's mostly used to like like scam people into installing some you know uh, pay to play game. Not to be mean, but I I'm not seeing a ton of uptake on instant instant apps. Right, instant apps is one of those like you can download half an app without installing it over the web and monkey around with it, and then you're done. Yeah, and move on. Yeah. App clips is like you wave your phone, and like one third of the UI appears as a one time use app, right? No, well, I mean, but it still shows up in your app library with a little dotted line around it. It's a little mini version of the app. They're they're actually the identical same thing. Apple just presented their version of it in a more compelling way because they're like they like they got to put it next to the idea of a rentable electric scooter, which didn't wasn't a thing when Google introduced Instant Apps. I was going to say it's like Instant Apps, if I remember correctly, was pitched as a very similar thing. Like you'd be at a restaurant and you want to like place an order. So like the Instant App for the restaurant is instantly available. You use it, you do your thing, you move on. In the real world, I don't think I've ever actually encountered an Instant App since they've come out. We got to find this chicken restaurant. (laughs) (laughs) 
It's the only way to solve this problem. Well, it's interesting that almost all of these use cases are, I need to pay for something, which is a yeah. theoretically also solved by the payment technologies built in all of these phones. But all these sites want, all these companies would like to collect a little bit of user data from you, right? Yeah. And that, like, that tension, I think Apple has not resolved. But I, the thing that really gets me about it is, like, I don't know, 10 years ago, making fun of QR codes was, like, the thing to do. And now we're just like fully in a world where like, oh, QR codes are everywhere and we use them all the time and they're extremely <laughs> handy. And Apple has now invented its own QR code. Its own custom QR code. <laughs> Come on. Of it's course they great. have. I get mad when I have to log into a TV app and they have and they make me type the URL instead of pre presenting the QR code on the screen of my TV. Yeah. I was like, why don't you use a QR code? I'm like, how far have I fallen? <laughs> this is that I have I have emotions about the lack of a QR code in the Paramount Networks app. Like what happened to me in this life? Man, next up you're gonna be asking for IR blasters. <laughs> I hate you. <laughs> All right, what else is happening and I I'm just moving on. I'm not even engaging yeah, that with fair. you. All the cool home screen shit doesn't go on to the iPad. Can someone explain that to me? Womp womp. I think uh, you you have this in your write up that they didn't mess with the iPad uh windowing stuff. Yeah. Right. Like they, they sort of like left it alone. It's still not good. Right. And I think on the, I mean, it's just, it's the same as it was before, which is not good. So I feel very <laughs> confident in saying it's still not good because sure. it's the same. Yeah. I think there's a larger rethink of iPad windowing home screen coming. Oh, so that'll come when they, when they add a touch screen to the Mac, they'll also revamp the iPad. Is that what you're thinking? Yeah, so for example, what if you put out an iPad that was effectively a laptop running Mac OS and it had widgets on it and ran <laughs> iPad apps? That seems like a train that is just starting to leave that station, right? Like, I, I think all of that is just, it's coming in a way that it's hard to discern right now, but why would you add widgets and new interactions to this home screen yeah. when you might be changing it in a bigger way? Like, that is the outstanding question for the iPad, right? Is what does this thing look like when... Yeah. Our Macs that can run iPad apps are going to sit right next to it. Yeah. And I, I think they just sort of left it alone because that, that question is going to lead to another universe of questions. And it's better solved holistically than it in pieces. Yeah, I think that makes sense. But, you know, like it's it's interesting. Like the Mac has a cut at this thing. They've got the app launcher, which nobody ever uses, but I, I sometimes do. Um, uh, and then the iPhone's got the app library. And then the iPad just doesn't get any sort of like catch all place where all your apps go. It still just has like the classic home screen. And there are the new widgets, but they still live in that like permanent sidebar. You can't intersperse them. So I think you're right. They just like wanted to leave it alone because they're doing something else bigger later, I hope. Well, the iPhone is also. I mean, if you just think about the size of the market, the iPhone is this massive market. More people have used it. More people are used to it. You can roll out this kind of change yeah. and say, okay, this is a big change in how you use your phone. The iPad to be used in this way, the iPad Pro is only two cycles in, right? Of this particular yeah. windowing style, this particular, it's a, it's not a computer, it's a computer, whatever. There's, just watch one of Dieter's many processor videos. <laughs> <laughs> it's something. It's a type of computer. But it's only like two generations into this use case. Yeah. So I think it's harder to roll out change and then change it again when you don't have this mass of people who are like, this is how an iPad works. And a whole bunch of people, probably like anybody with a child, mostly uses an iPad as like a YouTube kid's consumption device and adding more complexity to that home screen is like even more sideways. Sure, but we're talking about putting a widget 
somewhere else on the screen. It's not like a completely overhauled home screen here. And I don't understand why that isn't possible on the iPad. And as it is, like you were saying, with like if you got kids using the iPad or whatever, the changes on the iPhone can be completely ignored in iOS 14. You don't have to use widgets. You don't have to use the app library. You can install iOS 14 and still have your seven home screens full of apps and completely ignore those features. I, I mean, I think for the people that are using the iPad as a laptop and as a computer and things like that, they would be happy to move a widget to a different spot and clean up their home screen into some semi-terribly organized folders and what have you. But I don't know. Yeah, but like, I think Apple is stuck with the... The iPad is comparatively feature poor, right, as a laptop replacement. And Mm -hmm. I, I don't mean that as like, just like literally comparatively, like if you get a windows laptop, you can customize it in any way that you want. Right. Most, if you get a Mac laptop, basically any way that you want an iPad is like not that thing. So if you add customization features to it and you know, maybe in a year, we're going to blow all of this up. You're taking people that you're already asking, adapt your workflow to this other kind of computer and that all of that work and all that, sort of like cognitive reorienting that Dieter talks about that it's required to use an iPad is not worth it. Right. And I think Apple is better at saying this adaptation, this effort will be worth it for a long time. And I think that's why they're like, we're not going to give you a little bit more to this comparatively limited device. We're going to change a lot. And that, that just, that, that just seems like why you would limit it. It seems like the, if you know, an ARM Mac that's running iPad apps is coming, something else has to happen to the iPad. Right. Yeah. And that something else might be way more worth it in terms of a change. And like now you can move a widget here. And then when we change it for real, someone's going to get mad at us that their widget was moved yet again. <laughs> like just whatever. Screw it. It's like, it's like it's Android notifications. Right. They just they don't want to deal with that. Yeah. And it's better to make people. I mean, Apple's strategy of this has always been very clever. It's better to make people demand something for a year and then pr- like triumphantly present it to them. Yeah. <laughs> right. And be like, you asked for it. It's widgets on the In, home screen. Introducing the iPad <laughs> desktop. <laughs> It'll be even an even bigger deal if you make people wait for 10 years like they are with multi-user <laughs> on the iPad, because I think that must be the plan. It's a full 10 years of us demanding it, and then they'll give it to us. You got another 10 to wait, my friend. Oh, my God. Tell me about this compact UI. So you've been using it, and the thing that has struck me the most is like the Siri compact UI, the phone notification stuff, like... They're they're making an effort to make this a more multitasking operating system. Picture in picture, like the idea that your phone can do two things at once is like it it has finally arrived as an idea on the iPhone. Speaking <laughs> of things they made you wait for. <sighs> Dan, do you wanna do you want do you wanna take this one? Because I I I might <laughs> no, explode. Peter, I, I think you I think you got it. It has arrived as an idea. You are you are correct. <laughs> it has not arrived as a as a reality because it's like it it's just a it, it it might as well be full screen. It but you can like see behind it. It's basically just a transparency le- le- level. They just they took it from like ninety to zero. Right. You you can't have it persist there on the screen and do other stuff. The picture in picture is the only one. The picture in picture does persist and you can like have two different active elements at once. But like, for example, it's really interesting that Apple, even on their max models of the iPhone have uh, resisted the temptation to offer split screen apps. I'm sure that nobody actually uses it on Android, except for the four people that are going to tweet at me about it. How dare you? (laughs) Which is fair. But 
that's it's interesting that they have it, but I don't know what exactly I would want to have multiple things going on on the screen beyond picture in picture. Like even the Google Assistant doesn't really let you do this, but they you can do a split screen if you want. But there is a sort of sense that Siri should know what's happening on the screen and do stuff with it and vice versa. And like, there's no interaction happening there. And I would love to see that. But I think for this first iteration, the main thing that they did was uh, create a pretty blue bubble for Siri. I mean, there's a part of me that loves this. First of all, if you have to imagine a lot of things for this to be great. Siri has to be good. It has to be capable across multiple domains and apps. But imagine all the things. It's got 20 times more facts, Neli. It's so many more facts. But like, I love the idea that you're using your phone, you ask a quick question, and in parallel, simultaneously with whatever you're doing, Siri like does a thing, right? Like that's a cool idea. And that's what this looks like in the screenshots. I think it's going to be very weird for people to real- to find out that it's not and then it goes away. And you know, like we have the answer from Apple which was I think they said it to to John Gruber on his podcast, Craig Federer, you said like we didn't want you to ask Siri something and then have to press a button to make it go away. Yeah. Which is defensible, but I think it's one of those things that is absolutely defensible for a group of product managers, but like in the real world people are going to be like why doesn't this stay here? Like I accidentally tapped it and I accidentally made it go away. Yeah. Like I think that we'll see, we'll see how it goes. What is your experience been with it? Like, uh, just it's same. It's just Siri, but nicer looking. (laughs) Uh, I mean, that's fine. It's whatever. Um, this may be the same story as, as like the iPad, but in reverse, they like, they want to get there, but they just didn't want to do it the first year. They wanted to like, see how it goes, see how people react to it. And then they'll start. They didn't have time to like finish the thing that they actually want to make. So they just made the first step of it. Yeah. Uh, And then just a few more things to talk about. There is this thing that is happening that is very entertaining to me, which is it turns out a lot of apps hit your clipboard a lot. (laughs) Um, So with every version of iOS, Apple's adding on more and more warning security features. Actually, I I appreciate it. Um, I think the camera and microphone indicators are going to be super interesting. Yeah, They're great. It will absolutely not stop anyone from believing that Instagram is listening to you. It won't. <laughs> but they're there. Um, mm-hmm. So I think that's really cool. I actually do think the Safari tracking stuff is interesting. You know, awareness is the first step, all that sort of thing. But there's a new one where it, it tells you that an app hits your clipboard. Mm-hmm. The warning is like LinkedIn copied from YouTube, right? So like YouTube dropped something in your clipboard and LinkedIn picked it up so you can see that the flow of data. Yeah. And it turns out... And many apps have a good reason to do it, but it turns out a lot of apps hit your clipboard all the time. And so LinkedIn, Reddit, TikTok, like so many apps have popped up warnings for iOS 14 users because like every keystroke, they check the clipboard. Yeah. And they've all had to walk back like security concerns. They've all said it's a bug, uh, but it turns out they just got caught, which is. You think so? You think you think they just got caught? Really? I think they just got caught. I think like they got caught in the sense that uh, there are legitimate reasons. So um, one of the reasons is you've got a link in your clipboard and they're checking to see if there's a link there so they can generate a preview. Yeah. Right. So when you hit paste, there's a preview. That's a totally legitimate reason. There's a new way to do that that won't trigger the warning that Sandbox that Apple has built. They just got to switch to that. I think a lot of app developers are just kind of curious though. Like they want to know how many times you're pasting links. Like they're collecting that telemetry data in a way that necess- wasn't necessarily clean before. 
when I say I got caught, what I really mean is I think Apple builds these warnings for a reason. Right. They, they knew something bad. They knew something bad was happening, so they built a warning to show it. Because Apple collects a lot of telemetry data too, right? <laughs> right. <laughs> for better or worse, they all do it, and it might be anonymized, whatever. But they absolutely collect the telemetry data. And I think if you see, like, man, a lot of apps hit the clipboard all the time. Like, we're doing so many system calls for clipboard contents. You're kind of like, well, users should know. Yeah. Right. And I think if if I'm just a person opening the LinkedIn app, I have no expectation that it will ever look at my clipboard until I hit paste. Right. And I, that's what I mean by they got caught. Like they were doing a thing. They might have great and reasonable intentions to do it, but you should really ask before you go into a store of data where I've pasted something for all, you yeah. know, that's a password for all, you know, it's my social security number, like whatever you should ask me first. And I think this, as Apple builds more and more of these warnings, you can read it as them being more and more paranoid or like we were saying before. Why didn't they just go all the way? And, and like every time something asks for your clipboard, it pops up a, an okay cancel. Just put a wall up in front of it. Because I, I think there is this other way to do it. Yeah. That's interesting. And certainly, like, um, there's there are apps where it's Mac OS where you just hit paste and it has already read the clipboard. And, like, if you just hit paste and preview and you've got an image in your clipboard, it'll just, like, make a thing for you. Yeah. Right? And so, like, I, yeah. there's, like, there are good reasons for to give apps, like, prefetch access to your clipboard. But you have to know why. But they all got caught. They're all changing it. Yeah. Uh, and then the other, the other two kind of mysteries resolved, I would say. Um, Apple announced, and I think this is, came next to Thunderbolt 4. So Intel sort of formally announced Thunderbolt 4, um, which was sort of, as usual, lace in a bunch of USB standards. And then on top of that, Apple said, we're going to support Thunderbolt on our new Apple Silicon ARM Max, yeah. which was a bit of a question mark at WWDC, right? Yeah, I mean, um, Apple, Apple just straight up, like, they saw this 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 Thunderbolt news hit, and they they saw that everyone's like, "What the hell is up with Thunderbolt and ARM?" Because like people just assume Thunderbolt is an Intel thing, therefore it won't work on non-Intel things, which is not necessarily true. Um, so Apple's like, "No, we're we're going to do it," which is really interesting because it also means that um, Dan, well, you 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 said this that they're going to be the the first ARM device to support Thunderbolt. It's likely they will, like you said just now that like it's not necessarily an intel thing but in practice it has been an intel thing so if you have a computer with an amd processor you're not seeing thunderbolt support on it if you have a computer with an arm processor we've yet to see thunderbolt support on any of those so it's very likely that apple will be the first maker to ship an arm computer with thunderbolt support on it i think it's great i think it is very acknowledging of the fact that Apple has supported Thunderbolt 3 since 2015 or 16 or whatever it is. And there's all these accessories and docks and stuff that it's like basically forced its users to buy and, and invest into. And Thunderbolt docks cost a thousand dollars. They're so yeah. expensive. They're expensive. You live by the dongle sword, you die by the dongle sword. <laughs> so I can use my very expensive Thunderbolt dock that I'm using with my Mac mini right now because it has four Thunderbolt ports on it. <laughs> uh, I can use it with an ARM Mac whenever I get one of those. So that's like nice. That's great. Well, I mean, I, w- I mean, I, that was a joke. That I said, but like Apple has pushed everybody to buy Thunderbolt accessories. That yeah. has been their strategy for IO. I would love to know how much Thunderbolt adoption has been pushed by Apple. Like, like mm. it's because Apple basically forced it. Like, other manufacturers all support Thunderbolt now, but they didn't in 2016 uh, or 2015 when Apple really pushed the shift to it. So I would love to. I'm very curious to know if anyone knows that info. Let me know. Uh, it's funny because you know Apple takes all the credit for pushing USB in the very beginning with the iMac, and I think they would like to take credit for pushing USB, but it's just 
it didn't, it didn't happen the way they thought it would. <laughs> <laughs> well, and I th- it's probably also just like a reasonable thing for Intel to sort of let go of, right? They still get to get some money from Apple for a license to the spec or controller chips or whatever they're going to use. Well, it's very interesting. Actually, Intel says that they do not license Thunderbolt anymore. They ceased it for Thunderbolt 3, and they will not for Thunderbolt 4. Uh, they certify Thunderbolt, which apparently doesn't cost money, but it does cost more to have a product that actually passes certification, but uh, they don't charge a license fee anymore. And they were very particular about it. They actually let us know <laughs> in an email <laughs> saying we don't charge that for, for, for certification anymore. So, uh. yeah, the dynamics between Apple and Intel here, I think, are just utterly fascinating. Right. I mean, just think about the the number of stories where the Apple Intel relationship has gone sideways or upside down in the past three years. Modems. Modems. Like, that's the big one, right? They wanted Intel to be the modem supplier to compete with Qualcomm and break the Qualcomm monopoly. Intel was unable to do it to the point where Apple was throttling Qualcomm modems. I will never forget this because like Qualcomm was just so unhappy about it. They filed a lawsuit against Apple. Intel failed. They sold their modem division to Apple and they just like exited the business. Like they they could have been it. It could have been the thing for them. They Intel's obviously like PC chip roadmap, their processor roadmap, just like hit the breaking point with Apple. Apple has walked away and made its own chips. Thunderbolt is this Intel thing that Apple's dependent on. It seems like Intel is more or less being compelled to let Apple use it in a way that they usually tie to their processor. Like just the dynamic between Apple and Intel is Apple saying over and over again, we're going to do it ourselves. To the point where we're, we'll buy, we'll acquire entire divisions from you. And just managing those people better will result in modems that can compete with Qualcomm. <laughs> <laughs> like, that is crazy. Uh, but it just keeps happening. Uh, so that's one mystery resolved. The other mystery, which I'm actually really surprised on, and I'll happily admit I got it wrong. We were talking about how the Apple TV can support 4K YouTube now. Mm-hmm. And Apple had this weird, mysterious line. It's like the latest YouTube videos. Uh, it turns out uh, not only can the Apple TV do it, iOS devices can support 4K HDR on YouTube now, and it's VP9. Wow. Ooh. It's not AV, It's not the new codec. So I think I think the reason that Apple did not answer that question when we asked them over and over again is because they didn't want to admit that they rolled. <laughs> I, like, they rolled. They just su- they, yep. they support Google's codec now, like, straight up. And so if you have uh, iOS 14, you've got the YouTube app, you can make it, you can make it play 4K HDR. Uh, and I think that is not yet true on Safari, uh, on Macs, but I suspect with the next generation it will be. So mystery solved. I was utterly curious about this. I just assumed that AV1 had like succeeded because Netflix is using it. Uh, Google's actually using it on Android yeah. for some videos, but it appears from everything that we can see that Apple actually just caved in the supporting VP9 because selling a $170 TV streamer box that can't play 4K YouTube is stupid. <laughs> <laughs> Just, that's a fact. Okay, we got to take a break. We come back. We got some Android news to talk about. Support for this podcast comes from Canva. They say Rome wasn't built in a day, but you know what you can get built in a day? Your creative deck. You can generate creative decks to use for all your important presentations with Canva. Thanks to their AI, you can start with a simple prompt and watch Canva go to work. You want a sales presentation for a tech company? Done. Create an employee onboarding plan? No problem. Just type it in and watch Canva work its magic. You'll have generated options in seconds. Choose your favorite style, 
customize the content, and you're done. It's a serious time saver at work. So whatever you do at your job, Canva presentations can give you a head start on your deck. You can generate sales presentations, marketing decks, HR onboarding plans, you name it. It's AI for every department. It's easy to learn. It's even easier to use. And because it's built in Canva presentations, you can stay focused on the task at hand with no app switching. Finish your deck faster. Generate slides in seconds with Canva presentations at canva.com. Design for work. Support for this show comes from Slack. You're a growing business and you can't afford to slow down. If anything, you could probably use a few more hours in the day. That's why the most successful growing businesses are working together in Slack. Slack is where work happens, with all your people, data, and information in one AI-powered place. Start a call instantly in huddles and ditch cumbersome calendar invites. Or build an automation with Workflow Builder to take routine tasks off your plate. No coding required. Grow your business in Slack. Visit slack.com to get started. All right. There's like happy Android news and sad Android news. And I, I say that it's happy and sad. And then mm-hmm. I will also say there's Google Android news and there's Samsung Android news. <laughs> oh, man. <laughs> Let's start with sad. What is going on at the Pixel Theater? The, the 3A is, um, it's not end of life. 3A is like discontinued. Google's no longer selling it. Once it's out of stock, it's out of stock. Um, and the uh, Pixel 4A is um, MIA. Ooh, wow. Uh-huh. <laughs> wow. It's it's gone out into it's on it's on a foray into the world. Um yeah. Uh don't it we expected it a long time ago. Like a long time ago. And it just nobody knows. There's just leak after leak about it. There's like nonstop stuff. We see it hits the FCC. It was reviewed on YouTube like three months ago. <laughs> yeah. Like so who knows i like straight up who knows do you think that they like the you know the three and the three a they had such criticism we made a lot of fun of them because you know the story was rick osterlo was like why is this battery life so bad like do you think sundar and rick were like hey can we um can we see the phone that we're about to release (laughs) (laughs) because they didn't do it the last time yeah i mean i think this just kind of speaks to I mean, there's there's obviously been unique challenges this year for many supply chains, but I think the fact that Google had to had at some point stop making a 3A and they ran out of them, they sold out of them because they never released its successor. That was obviously, you know, very well into development and stuff like that, and they still haven't released it. It just kind of speaks to that Google is not good at selling things. Like, could you imagine like when when I think back of like when Apple products have been delayed? The, the white iPhone 4 was delayed for like six months because they had production issues with the, the color coding and things like that. Imagine if you couldn't buy an iPhone because the prior one had run out and Apple hadn't figured out how to make the new one yet. Like, yeah. that's what happened here. You think they haven't figured out how to make a 4A? I, that, maybe. Maybe. Is it hard to make? I don't know. Like, Google hasn't made anything with the Qualcomm 730 before, which is a chip we're expecting on it. Um, there was rumors that they were thinking about making two sizes and then they like balked and now there's like just going to be the one size. So maybe they had to like roll everything back. Maybe that was like the, the move that uh, Rick came in is like, what are you doing? Actually paying attention to what his division was doing. I don't know. Um, <laughs> there's, there's any number of things, but like something happened and I, I refuse to believe that the plan was to 
release this thing whenever they're going to release it, which we still don't know. Yeah. I think, honestly, the and we talked about this with Sundar in our interview with him, um, which is almost two months ago now. Um, but, like, the notion that they're going to keep trying and keep plugging away, like, I, if I was Google, I would take this moment in time when there are launches and, like, the phone cycle is pretty predictable and we kind of mm-hmm. know what's going to happen and say, we actually have to reset. We have to solve our huge problem, which is we don't make a flagship that competes. And we have to do that. And I, we, we should spend our resources and time doing that. Yeah. I'm saying this as somebody who just hopes that that's what they're doing, because I really do think that Google could come in and make a flagship phone and not charge $1,100 for it. Right. And it would still right. have the build quality and the features and the camera and all the stuff that we always talk about. And yeah. that is such a compelling lane for them to be in versus we're going to live at $400 or wherever they think the, the a series is going to be. And like a four a coming out is it just kind of cements the narrative that they're also rands. And I, why live in that zone now when you can't do any in-person marketing, you can't hold an event, people aren't going to stores, they can't hold the thing. Like you can only yeah. sell online. Like, you know exactly how that's going to turn out because that's exactly what's happened every other time. I don't know. The three ace was the best selling pixel phone. They sold 10 of them. Yeah, but they sold four of the three, so they sold more than twice as many with, as a three A. Like, it's still the best selling Pixel phone. Like, yeah, like but it, like I, I, I'm saying they got to move the bar. They got to move the bar to we compete with Apple and Samsung, and they, I think they they know it. And I think this the other option, Eli, is they they nope out of that fight altogether and they compete with like OnePlus at the eight hundred dollar price range. That's who they're competing with at the eight hundred price. Yes, definitely, it's OnePlus. If they they could they could nope out with the Pixel Five, they could nope out of like the like pristine, beautiful, glossy flagship five G stuff. They could nope out of the thousand dollar plus phone thing. How are you going to make a phone called the Pixel Five and not have it have a five G modem? No, that has to happen. But like, there's two five G modems, right? There, there's the eight sixty five, and there, there's the new version of the eight sixty five or whatever. Uh, that's like. It's fine, but it's not great. And then there's like the lower 765 stuff that is like a little bit less expensive, uh, but has the modem integrated in, which theoretically has like maybe some like battery advantages, which I don't know if you've ever used a Pixel, but thing needs some battery help. <laughs> um, every time um, our Chris Grant, he used to be the editor in chief Polygon, is now sort of the SVP of the division that houses us. Every time I call him on the phone, he's got a, he's got a Pixel 3. And every time I call him, he's like, this phone is so hot. The battery's about to explode. I'm on 1%. I'm like, dude, it's 2 p.m. and you're at home. <laughs> like, what is going on? He's like, this phone's a disaster. Yeah. Yeah, no, I get it. But I think that's like the, that's what I mean. The opportunity is to redefine what a flagship means and to take the hit and to, to be at the price point of the OnePlus stuff. Yeah. But make a phone that's flashy and premium and that people want as a status symbol. Yeah. And Google has never been able to do that. Not for a long time. And that's a tough, tough battle. I mean, like if you look at a OnePlus phone, it is flashy. It has the, the highest end components they can stuff in there. It doesn't have a recognizable name outside of like enthusiasts. But like if you're looking for like a flashy, pretty gorgeous, well-made hardware, like OnePlus doing that at 800 bucks or 900 bucks or whatever it is now. Yeah. So I think Google should take that McLaren's like deal away. (laughs) (laughs) They should just partner with every firm that will like give them the brand name for free. Like Polaroid, McLaren, RCA, (laughs) just 
Porsche design, like just layer them on there. If we're going to do the car analogy thing, I think what Google thinks is um, Samsung stopped making the Camry and the S20 has turned into like a Lexus. And nah. OnePlus only makes freaking like, you know, Subaru WRXs or whatever, right? And they want Google wants to make the Camry. The Camry yeah. is the A series, though. Like, yeah, that's Samsung absolutely that's, makes the Camry. Yeah. But nobody is proud to drive a Camry. Like, like nobody's like... <laughs> Lots of people are proud I mean, to I'm drive I mean, I'm sure you're Camrys. proud. And like, it's a great car. It's very reliable. Are you excited to drive a Camry? Maybe that's Camrys the right look word. like mean spaceships now. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that's true. They look like angry Transformers <laughs> coming to take your family home from school. Yeah. I'm here to defend the honor of the Toyota Camry. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it is like the most popular car in the world for a reason. But I, I hear what you're saying, like trying to like stratify it. I just think... The narrative around Google's phone ambitions is that they have failed. Yeah. Putting out the 4A does not change that narrative. It doesn't sell them any more phones. It doesn't give them any more leverage against Samsung. It doesn't create the sense that Android is ascendant. Like, mm -hmm. all the things they have to do have to happen with a phone launch. And that phone launch has to be exclusive. If that blockbuster information story about Rick Osterloh saying, you guys screwed up the battery on this thing, I, I disagree with your decision, is true, then there was some sort of come-to-Jesus moment um, where they canceled the tablets and blah, 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 blah. And was that long enough to go that they could actually pivot in time to whenever they're going to launch the Pixel 5? Or are we like having a next-year conversation right now? I don't know. I mean, like this the whole conversation is pure speculation. Like They could have just decided they, didn't, they wanted to have an event and they're going to hold it off. They could have decided, like, we're not ready to have people back in the office to complete the certification mm -hmm. trials. Like, a million things are true. The pandemic disrupted everything. But I think it's also just a good time for them to say, is this strategy working? Right? And yeah. I, I just don't think you can honestly look at their current strategy and say, this is a success. Right? Even though the camera's great, even though we like the phones. Like, it's hard to look at it and be like, yep. yep. I, I definitely think you should buy a Pixel phone instead of a Samsung phone which is a weird place for them to be. Yeah. Right. Their whole goal is to be a competitor to Samsung and provide some leverage in the ecosystem. Well, their advantage right now is uh, there's no like weird power things that Android police has a really good story about that up uh, today, yesterday when you're listening to this. And also like, I don't know, Samsung's $1,200 phones have ads on them now. Like, so speaking of Samsung, their event is coming. It's August 5th. Yep. The invite is a splash of copper. Mm hmm. It looks like we're just guessing it's the note. Mm -hmm. Yeah, <laughs> that's what it is. <laughs> uh, there's a wearable that showed up at the FCC. Yep. And then this rumor that they're also going to drop the chargers. And the rumor was Apple is going to drop the chargers uh, last week. Yeah, which everyone's real mad at me for saying that's good. I stand it's good. by that opinion. Absolutely good. I do not need another Apple tiny crap charger in my life. Yeah, but like. Samsung had just finally started to ship good chargers with its phones. <laughs> like it took a long time, but like, and same with Apple. Like even the the pro, the pro came with an eighteen watt, the eleven Pro came with an eighteen watt charger. Like they're finally putting good chargers in there now, and and you know maybe they won't anymore. Yeah, yeah. What else is rumored for this uh, Samsung event? The beans, ear beans, ear beans, the Galaxy ear beans. beans, ear beans, ear beans, <laughs> ear beans. <laughs> Cannot wait. Dieter, I believe you said this before, but I fully agree. So I'm echoing it. Uh, there needs to be more fun in products. And Ear Beans sounds like a very fun product, especially if they actually ship them called Ear Beans. Do it. Yeah. I'm super down for Samsung Galaxy Beans in my ears. Yeah. Yeah. So the, the other things I remembered, uh, like maybe a Fold 2 already. Well, I guess yep. it was a year since the last Fold, right? That whole debacle was a year ago. Uh, wow. Well, the whole black hole was a year and a half ago. The re-release was a year ago. Yeah. Wow. And uh, then maybe a Z Flip with 5G. 
That's been rumored a ton as well. That's a lot of stuff for like one event in the middle of August. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, that'll be exciting. Then it's Samsung, so there might be other stuff too. <laughs> yeah. Like, <laughs> yeah, wash machines. <laughs> uh, there was, I think, I just saw some rumors today. There's a, a tablet, an S7, has started been rumoring around with with the new 855 or excuse me, 865 plus chip yeah. that was uh, just announced by Qualcomm. So God bless Samsung making Android tablets like they're a thing. I love it. It's great. It's a lot of stuff, but also like. Samsung events. We just came through this like event season where we watched all the big companies like try to adapt to this world. Mm-hmm. Samsung events are like known for being over the top spectacles mm-hmm. in person with like gigantic stages and and they love to pack the audience with Samsung fans. Yeah, like how are they gonna do this? They're gonna have they're gonna have a, a fake audience that's just gonna be chanting ear beans ear beans <laughs> ear beans. They're sampling that right now, Dieter. <laughs> you should be careful. It'd be fascinating if like you know how some of the sports leagues have been like selling the ability to put a cardboard cutout of your face in the oh stands so no. you can watch your your sports team. What no. if Samsung did that for like people who are like super Samsung fans and they get their face? In the audience of their of their <laughs> live stream, that would totally be worth it. It could be what is what is the Samsung emoji thing called? The Memoji knockoff. I've already forgotten what it's called. I use a Samsung phone every single day, and I forgot. <laughs> it could be those on a cardboard cutout. Yeah, I mean, or they could like host the entire thing virtually, like the sports leagues are also doing. Like this entire event happens in NBA Two K Twenty One. It's like an idea. <laughs> I mean, this is the one that to me is the most fascinating. Like Apple pulled it off to a certain extent. I, yeah. I we, there are aspects of it that as journalists, we did not enjoy, but I think for most people just sort of consuming it, it was just fine. Yep. Right. They made a, they made an hour and a half long TV show about their 45 operating systems and people watched it and they had a great time doing it. And that's great. Microsoft made a four hour TV show about developing software, which is very Microsoft. And it worked and people liked it. Like yep. they, they figured it out on their timeframes. Samsung like makes bombastic spectacles out of product features. Yeah. And they, I don't know. I like, I'm very curious for this one. This is the only one where you can't quite predict how it might go. Especially cause like that moment of like revealing the fold two, they can't get that hush over the audience and like create that somewhat, fake sense of drama. Yeah. They can't have the drop, you know, the doom that you get, you know, like that. They can't do that. Well, you can, you can feel it in your galaxy beans. You've got the right (laughs) headphones. You really, your whole, it's a whole body sensation. So we'll see. Uh, I mean, like, it's funny. We just had this whole conversation about Google needing to like do flagship stuff. You need to create a moment. You need to create spectacle. Like Samsung is just about to do it. Like they're going to keep being the default Android provider at this scale with this amount of effort, intensity, right. spectacle. But Samsung, I think, is in a more um, dangerous place than people, than most people think, I think, because they're so dominant. Like, they, they've got the A51, A71. Like, they've got the most pop, best-selling Android phone. The S20 is the default. The Note is often thought of as a flagship, but it's actually not anymore. It's the S20. Um, like, Samsung doesn't have the... Halo device that makes everyone think that Samsung as a brand is a hot shit technology company. Well, that was supposed to be the fold, right? It was supposed to have been the fold <laughs> and now it's not. And so like the S20 is great, but the S20 Ultra kind of fell flat. It was the, the camera didn't do so hot. Um, so the thing that Samsung does to like 
act as a foil to Apple is race ahead on certain kinds of technologies, do them first. And uh, also it tries to race ahead of the rest of the Android world. Well, it's no longer racing that far ahead of the rest of the Android world, except in a couple of areas. And like, they're like neck and neck with Apple in a lot of stuff. Um, and so what, what will Samsung do to create that sense of like, we are the innovators here. You should like, you should have affinity for Samsung. This is why I'm sort of hoping it's good, that the Fold 2 is going to be here and that it's actually good. We'll see. Uh, because as much as, you know, I love the Note and I love people that love Styli, uh, I don't think that because it has the same specs as the Galaxy S20 fundamentally, because uh, it's on, you know, they're on this weird off cycle or whatever, um, it's hard to generate, like, Samsung is a, a, a super innovative tech, tech forward company that is ahead of everybody else with the Note. It just is. Yeah. And, it, and then next to it, Apple's like, our phone has picture in picture now. Yeah. <laughs> You've asked for them. Widgets yeah. are here. Right? And it's like, <laughs> man. Well, like, they, like Samsung gets no credit. They, you, Google can't figure out scrolling screenshots in Android 11. They like just announced that, like, yeah, we can't get it done. Like, <laughs> and it also took until Android 11 to get native screen recording. Yeah. Samsung's been doing that for years. <laughs> Samsung, did, like, one of the things in iPad OS is they can, you can, like, highlight text and then copy as plain text and then paste it, like, highlight your handwriting or whatever, and then copy as plain text. Samsung introduced that last year in the Note, in Samsung Notes. Like, it's been around. And, like, does, does, does anybody remember? I do, but I'm weird. <laughs> There's, like, a hardcore, like, Note forum right now that is... They're pasting in this audio. Yeah. And they're coming for you, buddy. <laughs> Great. Like noteusersforum.net. Rise up. <laughs> <laughs> wow. It's at Backlon. Let them know. You're around. <laughs> Don't let them disrespect you. I will only accept criticism in the form of puns on Twitter. <laughs> All right. We got to take another break. And then we got a little grab bag of news. We'll be right back. Hey, this is Scott Galloway, author, professor, entrepreneur, and most importantly, host of the Prop G podcast. We got a special series running on right now called The Future of Work, where I answer all your questions on, surprise, The Future of Work. Questions including, what are we missing when we work remotely? Or how do we handle work-life balance when a major opportunity comes knocking? From the provocative to the technical, we're offering insights you won't want to miss. So tune in to The Future of Work, a PropGPod special sponsored by Canva. You can find it on the PropGPod wherever you get your podcasts. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. It is. This is a little grab bag. Do you want to start? Let's start with the Google stuff. We've been in that zone, and then we can do the rest of these things. The their upcoming speaker, codenamed Prince, has hit the FCC, and um, it looks like a little fabric covered ciabatta roll. <laughs> does it? What does it do? Is it just it, a little guy? I saw it described as like half a home max, or the the smart 
you know, the smart speaker equivalent of like a Sonos One, but it's very it's very front facing. You know, it's not like a big square like or a circle like the HomePod. Uh, so that's a fascinating choice. But yeah, it's like better sound out of a, a Google Home speaker is like I think the TLDR of it. It, it seems to replace the recently discontinued original Google Home speaker, which was yeah. the air freshener thing from yeah. 2016 or whatever that was out forever. That finally got discontinued, apparently, like in the past month. Um, I, mean, I didn't know that. Is that really? Yeah. Yeah. Apparently it's it's gone. And this thing, I'm, I'm looking at our coverage on it. It's on TheVerge.com. Definitely looks like a ciabatta roll. I think it is like, <laughs> I think it is like deceptively small in the pictures. And I think in real life, it's actually going to be bigger. And, and we actually, the pictures that have leaked are, are next to a ruler. So you can see exactly how big it is. And it's yeah. like 200 plus millimeters tall. Uh, I don't know what that is in inches, but it's, it's bigger. It's not like a Nest Mini replacement. It is something bigger than that. Yeah. And so, okay. I see it's, it. You know, it's funny, like we have home hubs here and now I never want to buy a smart speaker without a display again. Oh, interesting. Uh, well, it's just because what do we use it for? We use it for timers. You know, it's yeah. really useful seeing the timer. The Echo Show still doesn't show multiple timers at once is my understanding. Is that true, Dan? I believe so. I haven't attempted to use a multiple timer in a long time. Google probably. speaker does, uh, but um, my wife does not like saying um, the, the Google hot word. Uh, so she prefers to say Alexa. Sorry, I said that out loud. I have become so annoyed at like the way that the Sonos ones are bad at Alexa hot wording that I just like turned it off and bought an Echo Dot. So now we have an Echo <laughs> Dot and a Google Home Hub sitting next to each other in my kitchen. And I'll use the Google one because I like seeing the timers displayed on it. And she uses the uh, the Echo Dot. You can link the Echo Dot to the Sonos. So then you, when you speak to the Echo Dot, it plays out the Sonos. Yes, that is the, the next step. <laughs> and then on the Sonos, you can turn on the, the Google awake word, and then you can use both of them at the same time on the Sonos. I actually don't know that you can do that. You the, you can, actually. You can set the Sonos to be a Google awake word, and then you tell Alexa that the Sonos exists, and you're fine. The problem here is I have my Sonos ones as surrounds for my living room, and for some reason, that or just Sonos ones suck. Like They're so bad at recognizing wake words, and they're so slow at reacting if anything goes wrong that it's just not worth it. Well, you know, the reason is when you issue the wake word to a Sonos device— Lawyers from all three companies <laughs> have to negotiate a cloud services agreement. It's actually um, it's 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 keeping a lot of first year associates yeah. employed. I I can't believe we have waited this long to uh, troll Neli with the uh, end of lifing of the uh, Logitech Harmony Alexa powered remote control. Like this is this is a dark day for IR repeaters, Neli. I need to know I'm what the your winner. feelings are. <laughs> uh, my, f it's, he, this is like a really weird moment in television history. Let's start at the beginning. Wow. The TV was invented. <laughs> the way a cathode ray tube works. <laughs> yeah, is... exactly. You know, there's two ways. There's a, an aperture grill and there's a, uh, there's a dot mask. Yeah. Trinitron was an aperture grill. To... No, okay. Just think about where we are with TVs at this moment in time. Yeah. There is, there are more streaming services. There are bizarrely more streaming devices. Mm -hmm. There's more consoles. There's more stuff to watch, consume, and plug into your TV than ever before. Which is true. Yeah. There are fewer control solutions for TVs than ever before. Logitech is basically the market leader. They keep trying this stuff. And, uh, you know, 
we should actually should get that Logitech CEO back and Daryl back on the show one of these days. But the last time he was on our show, he was like, yeah, Harmony's fine. I bought, <laughs> we bought OBS. Have you heard of Streamlabs? That's the future. Like <laughs> Twitch is where we're going. So like, it's just like Logitech, which is the market leader in remote controls is like, yep, we're going to let that peter out. And they're, I, like, I was really high on Kava. Like, they mm-hmm. haven't issued an update in forever. They're still yeah. around. You know, like, you see them sort of, like, respond to people on Twitter. Like, they're around. They just haven't done anything. Yeah. There is not another... No one is trying to solve the problem of, I have a PS4, soon to be a PS5, an Xbox, a Roku, an Apple TV, and whatever apps on my TV... I just need one remote control on my on my desk. Like, well, that, that's because HDMI CEC has solved that problem for everybody. Right? It just works. <laughs> it's just bizarre. It's like an obvious market opportunity, and instead, it's like every couple of days, Joanna Stern tweets about how her Apple TV remote is lost. Yeah, uh, there was a Wall Street Journal article about how millennials coming home to stay in their like boomer parents' houses are confounded because all of the boomer parents have like 45 remotes and they've yeah. all like muscle memoried their way into knowing how to change the channel and they can't explain it to anyone else. But that's an article in the wall street journal. Like every executive in Silicon Valley should be like, this is my startup. Yeah. Like this problem is so bad. That the wall street journal is writing about it. Uh, there's a market opportunity and it doesn't exist. It is confound. And I think part of the answer is like many people just buy the TCL Roku TV and they get the remote and they're done. Yeah. Many people just buy whatever, but just one click next to that, you've got people with the five-year-old smart TV who have bought a streaming device and have a PlayStation and might have a soundbar. And those people are just in a world of absolute pain. My parents bought this thing called a mag. I don't even know what this is. It's like this weird box that's an IPTV box and then like something that appears to be illegal happens and then Indian TV streams to their house. Yeah. I was, I was about to, I was about to ask. I'm, like, I like, I'm really not sure what all I know is my dad paid $200 to his friend and his thing showed up. At the house. Like you have to know somebody to buy one who will go, it's go get it. Very confusing. Uh, but like, you know, IPTV services exist in many other countries. You can just like buy one of these boxes and like sign up for it. Okay, great. They're trying to figure out like how to make it all work. So now they have another remote mm-hmm. that needs to, and that needs to interact with their like receiver and their like, t- and like, it's just nuts. And I like, I can't go to their house and just do it for them. Yeah. And so I'm like, okay, plug it into the receiver. And they're like, what remote do we use to turn everything on? And I'm like, I don't know. I don't <sighs> know the answer to that question. And that is an insane at this point in TV history when more people are watching more TV than ever with across more devices. Yeah. Like for Logitech to be like, you know what? This reasonably good idea of having a Alexa powered remote control. We're just screw it. Like we're well, So here's my question. Why isn't you're going to hate me so much for what I'm about to say. You guys, you guys ready to just be pissed. Just if you're, if you are lucky enough to be in your car, pull over and just prepare to grip your steering wheel in anger. If you have a mouth guard, put it in so you don't grit your teeth. <laughs> grind your teeth. Uh, why isn't there an alliance? Oh, why God. isn't there an industry consortium to standardize this shit? Why doesn't the Bluetooth alliance or like the Z-Wave alliance just roll in and be like, all TVs and all set-top boxes work this way? It's called IR blasters. <laughs> <laughs> like, uh, I, like when we're talking about all of these remotes, like, yes, some of them use Bluetooth to communicate, but they also all have IR blasters on them. <laughs> Amazon has put 
IR blasters into its remotes that weren't there before. Have you ever looked at a manual of like IR codes? <laughs> That's one of the reasons Log- Logitech failed because it just, the, the database of how many IR codes they have to keep track of got so big that it <laughs> took like, down the entire server farm. They're like, we can't afford these 32 gig micro SD cards <laughs> for our IR database anymore. It's too much. Uh, yeah, I don't know. Like, it's just, it's wild to me. And I, you know, we keep asking people about it. Like, it is just crazy to me that the solution the industry has landed on is this is too hard. You yep. will have six remotes. Yep. You can, you can pay to fix it. Like, Control 4 will come into your house and you can write them like a four-figure check for a universal remote in your, in your living room. And, and it'll, it'll do all the stuff. That'll work for six months until you buy some new thing that you want to have next to or plugged into your TV. And then you call your Control 4 guy <laughs> and he comes to your house and he hooks it up. Like, I'm serious. That is their whole business model. <laughs> yeah. Like, that they can fix it. But like for like normal people who don't want to spend multiple thousands of dollars to fix the multiple report pro- problem or multiple remote problem. Yeah. The, like it's the Harmony, which they maybe aren't making any more of they're discontinuing to, to be fair this this alexa powered harmony thing was terrible like it was a bad product it shouldn't have shipped but like just to catch you up your harmony remote is almost surely safe unless you bought this fancy alexa harmony express and if you did you can get a full refund or you can just get a free harmony elite which is a very very nice remote control yes so like logitech is doing well by its customers here yeah no, but the, the the Harmony Elite is like four years yeah. old. Are they ever yeah. going to update that? Is the question. Like, yeah, and at yeah. some point they're probably going to stop making them. Well, I mean, they got a lock on the market. Yeah, but we said this, and then and then you ask the CEO, "What's up with it?" And he's like, "Yeah." <laughs> Let's be fair. That was that was a long time ago. We that conversation we I was in the office for, which is officially a long time ago, like a yeah. different lifetime ago. We'll try to get him back. We'll we'll see what we get up to. He won't. If I send the email, it's like, hey, do you want to come on and talk about Harmony Remotes? So you'd be like, no. <laughs> <laughs> so let me see if I can lure him in to talk about Twitch streaming or something. Last two things. This is really interesting to me. BMW announced that uh, they're basically going to do in-car microtransactions. So they're going to ship all the features in the car, and then you can pay to turn them on and off as services, which is like, the, it's the nightmare, right? I mean, that's the nightmare. Well, you're paying. Well, the question is, are you paying for the hardware in your car that isn't turned on when you buy the car or lease the car? It's a BMW. You absolutely are. Most BMWs are leased. So I think this makes sense for them Mm -hmm. to say, okay, we can we're not going to like make different models of the car with different wiring harnesses and stuff. We're just going to lease you a three series and you can decide and we'll just like light them up. And then when you come back and lease your new one, we'll take that three series back. We can configure it for the customer. Yeah. Uh, sure. No one wants their car to work that way. Yeah. Well, so this is like the inverse of the charger thing. I'm like, yes, get rid of the charger, take the price of the thing down 20 bucks and let us get a gift card to buy our own charger by Apple services or whatever. Great. But this is like, it's there and I have to pay more to use it. Something about it. I like, I want, I want to believe that I could like work myself up into a, like a mental model where like this thing is acceptable and okay. But just at a gut level in the same way that people are like, how dare you not put a charger in the box? I am. How dare you put heated seats in my car and I've got to pay you a fee to use them. It's like the next step beyond what Tesla's doing. Right. So like Tesla will ship a car with, with X capacity battery and only unlock 
X percent of that, right? And then you pay them five grand and you can get the full capacity of the battery. Like Tesla's done that for a number of years now. And that bothers me too. Yeah. And I think what's worse about the BMW situation is that you have to pay a monthly subscription. You can't pay 300 bucks and turn on those heated seats and they'll just be on and work for the rest. No, you have to pay in perpetuity a monthly fee, and then like you stop paying that monthly fee, and your heated seats stop working. It's just that's great. <laughs> uh, so here's the list so far that is in Sean's story: heated seats, uh, automatic high beams, adaptive cruise control. Once upon a time, Android Auto and CarPlay were on this list, and then everyone was so mad at them. Uh, it was eighty dollars a year for CarPlay, which yeah. is just horrible. Uh, and then people were so mad, and then they turn it off. Like uh, that list of features, I kind of get it. Okay, I don't. It's 90 degrees right now. I don't need, I don't even pay for these heated seats. You're basically buying a Camry. So you got to stop bragging on the Camry. I'm not happy. And then you check the boxes oh <laughs> until you get into a BMW. Why like, do you like, hate these the These are Camry all the luxury so features that you expect with a luxury BMW. Like, the Camry is the worker's car. Okay. It's, it's the car of the... Oh, hang on. That, mm, I, have, I own a Civic. I, I think a Civic <laughs> is a little bit more... Uh, this podcast is fully off the rails. Um <laughs> I think we're going to see this across more car companies. I think Ford is interested in the F-150. It's cars as a service is that's the story here, right? We're going to start to ship more features. And I, I'm with you, Dieter. Like I, I don't know. I'm, I'm going to buy like a, you're going to buy a Camry. That's, that's obviously what's happening I'm, here. <laughs> look, I'm getting older. I've got a kid. It's 2007 it Escalade. Don't yeah, have to worry about it. The heated yeah. seats are already broken. <laughs> uh, that's horrible. I gotta go Google for Escalades now. Uh, and then the last one, this is just an update. Uh, we've talked a lot about 230 and encryption just for months, years now. Uh, the Earn It Act, which basically forces companies to provide a backdoor to encryption if they want 230 Two, two completely directly related concepts that obviously should be put together. <laughs> Makes no sense. Uh, that is out of committee. So it went through the full committee process. It got weakened in committee. Like it's not quite of a direct correlation, mm-hmm. but it's up. It's up for vote. Like it's three votes away, right? Senate, House, President. Well, President doesn't. Well, it's technically, it yeah, counts a vote. Okay, let's call it a vote. I mean, he's he's got to sign it or not sign it. I guess in many ways it's a vote. I'm a student <laughs> of American history <laughs> politics. It's three steps away, right? House vote, Senate vote, uh, yeah. President signing it away from being the law. There's you are going to hear a lot about it. We have a lot of coverage on it. Our policy desk, Eddie McKenna Russell, has been doing a great job with it. it. There's nothing to say at this moment except that through the committee process, it is getting weaker. That tie of breaking encryption to 230 is getting weaker, but it's still there. Uh, it's still not quite as clear. And I think Mozilla has already come out against it very strongly. I think you're going to see as it moves forward, the debate about whether we're going to break encryption and do backdoors, it's it's just fully here. So I don't want to... I don't want to burn too much more time on it. We've, as usual, already gone long. But uh, go check out that story and just keep an eye on it because it's it's. There's a lot of bills. I, w- I would call them the sort of like Josh Hawley zone of bills. Josh Hawley wakes up, takes a shower, has an idea. Another bill has been produced about how Facebook much must shut itself down. Like that's fine. This one is through committee. It's like it's it's hit the stage where it's it's close in a way that the other ones aren't. So keep an eye on it because I. I suspect we're going to be hearing a lot about encryption in the, in the weeks and months to come. All right. That's it. Um, I want to call it two stories just real quick. Happy stories. Well, one's bittersweet. Uh, Addie Robertson, you might know that Magic Leap, the mixed reality company, 
CEO left. They got a new CEO. They're pivoting to enterprise. They're shutting a lot of stuff down. What a surprise. Um, they were going to make, they had one last game to make uh, called Fading Light. Addie Robertson has the inside story of that game, what it meant. It's a great story. It's all about like how you might use AR and mixed reality to tell a different kind of story. So check that out. And then I got to call out uh, Becca Farsace's new YouTube series, Full Frame. First episode came out on YouTube. She built a camera with a Raspberry Pi 4. It's a delight. You just watch it. It'll just make you happy. It's so much fun. Okay. That's it. You can tweet at us. Dieter's at Backlon. Dan's DC Seifert. I'm at Reckless. We've got newsletters. Dieter's got Processor. That's the Verge.com slash newsletter. Casey's got the interface, the Verge.com slash interface. Uh, a little treat next week. We're going to put out a special episode of Why'd You Push That Button? Ooh. Dating the pandemic, Ashley and Caitlin and Andrew kind of made a renegade episode. Caitlin doesn't work at Vox Media anymore. Mm-hmm. She works at the Atlantic. We'll see. We'll see how that goes. <laughs> made an episode with us. That's great. Uh, super excited that that's coming next week. Like I said, interview episode is Rashad Robinson uh, from Color of Change. We're talking about the Facebook boycott. And we're back on Friday with Chat Show. Lots going on. That's it. Rock and roll. Wear a mask. Thanks to Canva for their support. Canva wants to make your presentations come as easy as those thoughts that pass through your head. And thanks to their AI, you can start with a simple prompt and watch Canva go to work. Choose your favorite style, customize the content, and you're done. It's a serious time saver. Whatever you do for work, Canva presentations can give you a head start on your deck. You can generate sales presentations, marketing decks, HR onboarding plans, you name it. Finish your deck faster. Generate slides in seconds with Canva presentations at canva.com. Designed for work.